Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, this opportunity you've given us to gather together as mishpacha, uh, as family, uh, united as echad, as one in your presence, united by your presence and by the blood of the Lamb. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to understand your word and what you desire of us, for us, and from us, for the good and the purpose of your kingdom. Father, let it be your words that come forth, nothing in me involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. This week we were in Parsha Tetzaveh, uh, uh, which begins with uh, Exodus 27, verse 20. Um, and uh, show of hands, and, and this is the fun thing about the camera only showing me, is nobody sees your hands, so no need to lie if you didn't do it, it's okay. How many read the Parsha this week? How many walked out of the Parsha going, dude, that's a lot about Aaron, right? He was picked on a lot. Not to mention, he had like, like, I hate wearing a coat because it's hot. Uh, most of you see me right before the message, I take my Toledo off and put it on the, the Bema stand over behind me because I get warm. And in order for me to be comfortable, all of you have to be miserable. So it's just easier for me to start removing layers. Um, and everybody's praying that I stop at the Toledo. Um, but... Aaron has a lot of clothing that he has to wear to minister before the presence of the Lord. I mean, a lot of it, right? I mean, even down to special underwear. You caught that, right? You read the part? There's special underwear that he has to wear. That's, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's something. Um, but, but, but every single aspect of that has a specific purpose, uh, even down to the underwear. It has a very specific purpose in the service of the priesthood before Adonai, and in particular, the service of the priesthood for Adonai before the people of Israel. Uh, I, I was answering a question during Q&A about um, the, the garments and, and particularly the, uh, the role of the priest as a minister and so on. And the thing that's really interesting about it is that the priest serves for a distinct purpose. The, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, served for a distinct purpose, and that was to serve as an intermediary between the people of Israel and the God of Israel, Right? The people of Israel were sinful, as you and I are. Aaron was sinful, as you and I are. But the Lord chose Aaron and his sons to serve as that intermediary between the people of Israel and the Lord. And there was a slew of things that he had to do, and a lot of things he had to, to, to slaughter too, um, in order for the nation to be able to be deemed worthy, righteous, and holy for the presence of the Lord to be in their midst. And this is ultimately the key of this week's Parsha, is, and, and all of this segment of talking about the tabernacle and the construction of its uh, furnishings and, uh, and all of this uh, that, that builds up to it, even down to the finite descriptions of his clothing and the type of materials and, and the type of uh, uh, the, how many folds and the way it's supposed to be folded on the, the breastplate and all this kind of, I mean, very intricate designed and very specifically worded structure of how the Lord wanted these things to be done. And everything was for a purpose. 
purpose. It wasn't just so that some Joe Schmo had to go and work his tail off to do a whole bunch. I mean, it's not like God's running some sort of uh, 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 labor house or slave house somewhere making shoes in Indonesia. But this is the Lord saying, this is for my divine purpose that you can experience my presence in your midst. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. Uh, and in, in building into this, I just want to remind everybody, if you haven't already, go back and listen to Sean's message last week. Sean did a phenomenal job last week, right? Uh, and uh, one of the things that Sean was talking about was how last week's Parsha uh, very specifically said that we were to build the tabernacle so that God could dwell among us in our midst, right? And he talks about, he talked about how we're supposed to have in, in giving for the tabernacle and giving the, the, the uh, gold and the silver and all of the, the yarn and everything that would be necessary for these things to be made, that we weren't just to give it because God said to, right? It wasn't just some random obligation that if we didn't do it, God was going to smite us. But in particular, God said, I want only those who have a willing heart to give. And so Sean talked about that idea of a willing heart. Uh, in Hebrew, we call it the chavanah, the intention of the heart. What is the intention of the heart? And so here in, in Exodus 28, we see that description go from just the nation of Israel being asked to give for this purpose to something being asked to be given of the, the, the Aaronic order of the priesthood. So verse 1 of 28 says, Bring your brother Aaron near with his sons from among B'nai Israel, so that they may minister to me as Kohanim. Aaron and his sons, Nadav, Abihu, uh, Eleazar and Itamar, skipping to verse 4. These are the garments that they are to make, a breastplate and a fad, a robe, a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash. They are to make holy garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that he may minister to me as Cohen. And the question that was brought up uh, on the realm yesterday, uh, as well as this morning in Q&A, is this idea of Aaron being called to minister to the Lord as it's worded here in the English translation. Um, and uh, the, the reality is, is the Hebrew is a little, it, it means to minister for the Lord, but it goes a little deeper. It's to, I mean, it means to minister to the Lord, but it goes a little deeper. It's to minister before the Lord. Because as we said at the beginning, the purpose for the, the Aaronic order of the priesthood was to serve as an intermediary between the nation of Israel and the God of Israel. And so he was to serve as an intermediary, worshiping and ministering before the Lord for the nation of Israel. Israel also worshiped in, uh, the Lord and ministered before the nations. Uh, I like to point this out as we move through the Torah every year that there were tears to the reality of the nation of Israel, just as there are tears to the reality of the body of Messiah. You know, Paul talks about the, the body having many parts and each part having its place and the hand shouldn't tell the foot, it can't get involved and all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, the reality is, is that goes way back before Paul. Paul's putting into human terms something that goes way back before that to the Torah. When the Lord called the nation of Israel for a distinct purpose, anybody remember what that purpose was? Isaiah talks about it uh, uh, several times. Uh, the nation of Israel was called to be a light to the nations, right? That was what we were, it wasn't because there was anything special. You can go back and look at Abraham. He jacked things up pretty seriously several times. You look at Isaac, uh, we can look at Jacob, we can look at all these, they, they messed things up left and right. The nation of Israel didn't even get out of Egypt before they messed stuff up, right? So as we look at it, it's not because there's anything special about us, about the, the, the people of Israel. We weren't chosen because we were fantabulous by any means. We were chosen because God wanted to use us to be a light to the nations, because God wanted to work beyond our shortcomings to show his perfection. Because God wanted to work beyond our shortcomings to show the world his redemption, his restoration, his renewal. And so the nation of Israel as a whole was to stand as an example, if you would, of, the walk, of a walk with the Lord before the nations 
But the nation of Israel needed an example. So God said, okay, from the smallest people of all the peoples on the face of the earth, I'm going to bring out the smallest family, the Levites. And these are going to serve as an example before the nation of Israel of what it looks like to walk with the Lord. And so there's a little extra weight in the commandments on the Levites that's not on the, the, the rest of the Israelites. Then he goes, you know what? But the Levites are probably going to need an example. So I'm going to bring out the Aaronic order, Aaron's uh, descendants to serve as an example before the Levites who are an example before the nation of Israel who is an example before the nations. And then he goes, and beyond that, I'm going to draw out Aaron and his firstborn sons in lineage to serve as an example for the Aaronic order, who's an example for the Leviim, who's an example for the Israelites, who's an example for the nations. And so as we look at this, there's this multi-tiered direction and each and every level of that tier that we climb up uh, ends up having a little greater of a weight of commandments and structure and order upon them that the tier below them didn't have. And it was singularly for the purpose of living an example. So here we see the priesthood is called out. Aaron and his sons are called out for that purpose, to serve as the example for the nation of Israel and to serve as intermediaries between the nation and their God. And so he describes these particular garments that are to be worn by the priesthood, that are to be made for the priesthood so that they can serve before the Lord. And we skip to verse 9 of chapter 28. It says, You are to take two onyx stones and engrave on, the on them the names of Bnei Israel, uh, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. Now, when he says Bnei Israel, he's not saying like literally every single son of Israel is to be etched on there, right? That's a lot of people. We're talking a million and a half uh, uh, to, five, uh, to three million total people that left Egypt that were direct descendants of Abraham. So that's a lot of folks. He's talking about the name of each of the tribes of Israel. And so on one stone, six names is put on. On the other stone, six names is put on. Uh, and it reminds us, if you would, of six tribes on Mount Ebal and six tribes on Mount Gerizim, proclaiming the blessings and the curses when they go into the promised land. So he says, with the work of a gem cutter engraving a seal, etch the two stones on the order of the names of an Israel. Uh, in the order of the names of Bnei Israel, make them enclosed in settings of gold, fasten the two stones upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be a, a memorial stone for Bnei Israel. So Aaron is to bear their names before Adonai on his two shoulders as a reminder. Take that in for a minute. The first garment that we're talking about here, the ephod, has these two stones on the shoulders. Each stone has six tribes, uh, the names of six tribes of the, the nation of Israel, six on one, six on the other, all 12 represented. So that when Aaron stands in the tabernacle and later in the temple, his descendants stand as the role of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. They stand before Adonai carrying a reminder of the nation of Israel of whom not only they serve, but of whom they serve as an intermediary before God for. Going on to verse 15, make a breastplate of judgment. And the word here for judgment is the word mishpat. Remember Parsha Mishpatim? Just a few weeks back, these are the mishpatim, the ordinances of the Lord for your life. And there's uh, uh, 50, was it 53, I think, commands of the 613 are found in that one Parsha. Um, so the same word is used here. So it's not just judgments as in the, the, the Lord is standing there with a gavel on the, the, the judge's uh, bench or throne or whatever judges stand on in court. I don't know. 
I don't go to court. So uh, <laughs> whatever they sit on there and beating the gavel saying, all right, you know, here's what you did wrong. You're going to go to hell for it. It's not that at all. It's talking about the, the, the ordinances, the reminders that God has given to Israel. It's a reminder of the judgments that would be upon Israel should they break his word. But in particular, as he goes on, he says, make a breastplate of judgment, the work of skillful craftsmen. You are to make it like the design of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and finely twisted linen. It is to be square and doubled over, a span in length and a span in width. Skipping to verse 21, the stones are to be engraved in the order of the names of Bnei Israel, 12 according to their names, like the etchings of a signet seal, and one corresponding to each name of the 12 tribes. And so on the breastplate, there's a stone, uh, a gemstone representing each of the tribes. Upon those gemstones is the name of that tribe. If you remember on our Torah scroll, every Torah scroll has a breastplate upon it as a reminder of what the priest wore. And so as we look at this, there's this, this reminder literally of the nation of Israel sitting on his chest. But in verse 29, he says, Aaron will bear the names of B'nai Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart. He... He will bear the names of Bnei Israel in the breastplate, breastplate of judgment on his heart whenever he enters the holy place as a continual memorial before Adonai. As a continual memorial before Adonai. So he has the stones, the onyx stones on his shoulder that serves as a reminder before the Lord of the nation of Israel. He wears the breastplate that each one of the stones remind, is a, serves as a reminder of the, the judgment, a memorial of the judgments due to Israel, whether good or bad because of their sins. And that's important to grasp because the reason that that happens is because what is it the high priest is in there doing? It's mediating on behalf of their sins, Right? He's not in the temple and the tabernacle serving just for kicks and giggles. He's there because we're human. And as human, we're going to jack things up. That's really what we're good at. That's what we're best at. And I don't care if you're talking about the nation of Israel or you're talking about Joe Schmo down the street. We are all human. We are all descendants of Noah. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve. We all are going to mess stuff up. That's just the reality about it. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is as believers in Messiah, guess what? We are not finding reprieve from that we're still going to mess things up which means it's even more important that we recognize the role of Yeshua as our Kohen Gadol in the order of the high in the order of Malchitzedek because the reality here when it talks about how Moses or Aaron sorry is to carry where the breastplate of judgment upon his heart Aaron's a type and shadow he's a type and shadow of Messiah type and shadow of Yeshua and so when it talks about him wearing the breastplate of judgment on its heart it's a type and shadow of Yeshua literally taking on the sins of the world upon himself. It's a type and shadow of the Lord taking the judgment that's rightly due us away from us because our high priest in the order of Malchizedek, which is Yeshua Mashiach, stands before the Lord in intermediation for us. He offered his life once and for all that all could find salvation should we simply turn to him and cry out upon his name. Verse 30, also put the Arim and the Tumim uh, within the breastplate of judgment so they will be on Aaron's heart when he goes before in before Adonai. Aaron will bear the judgment of Bnei Israel on his heart before Adonai continually. The Arim and Tumim means the, the light and perfections. And there seems to be some sort of connection between the Urim and the Tumim and uh, the way that Aaron or the, the priest that would descend from him served in judgment amongst the, about the issues that may arise among Israel. Uh, if a tribe is guilty or somebody in a tribe is guilty of sin, how they would decipher which one it is and which tribe it is and who in that tribe and so on and so forth. Um, as a matter of fact, if you look on Wikipedia, <laughs> 
I'll let you take from that what you want. If you look on Wikipedia, it talks about how the Urim and Tumim were for divination. Not so much. Not really. Uh, not at all. Um, but it's really interesting when you look at this because the Urim and Tumim means lights and perfection, which is a reminder of, and if you think about the breastplate and its purpose, and it being a type and shadow, Aaron being a type and shadow of Yeshua, Yeshua is our light and our perfection. And it's really neat as we look at this and how this all ties together. It's almost like God had a plan. Verse 36, also you were to make a plate of pure gold and engrave it, engrave on it like the engravings of a seal, holy to Adonai. Attach it with a violet cord onto the turban, on the front of the turban, so it will rest on Aaron's forehead, so that Aaron will bear away the iniquity committed regarding the holy things, which B'nai Israel set apart as, a, as all their holy gifts. It is to be always on his forehead, so that they may have favor before Adonai. A lot of times people look at this and go, it's because Aaron was holy before the Lord. Or it's a reminder to the Lord that Aaron is holy. But if you read it, it says it's a reminder that the nation is holy. And the nation is holy because of the work that Aaron the high priest is doing, which is a type and shadow of the eternal work that our high priest Yeshua Mashiach is doing. So that we can be deemed righteous and holy for all eternity. It's a powerful reality when we look at this. And as a matter of fact, if you go back just a little bit to Exodus 19. Exodus 19 is when the nation of Israel is preparing to hear the voice of the Lord. We read this in our Torah service every week as part of our, the way that we do things here. But if you look in Exodus 19, beginning with verse 3, it tells us exactly what the Lord's desire for the nation of Israel was in the first place. Moses went up to God and Adonai called to him from the mountain saying, Say this to the house of Jacob and tell B'nai Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now that if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim, a holy nation. These are the words by words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel. We were called to be a light to the nations. How? By being a kingdom of Kohanim, by being a kingdom of priests. We made a choice to allow that role, just like Adam and Eve made a choice to take the, the, the dominion and authority over the things of this world and hand it over to Satan. When we chose sin rather than walking in the garden for, for all eternity, we handed the power and dominion that was given to us over to the enemy. And the Lord, through the, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, has restored that power, dominion, and authority that we have over the things of this world. In the same sense, we have handed the, the role of a priest, the role of being the king's koanim, over to the ironic order. Why? Because as a whole, as a nation, we just weren't there yet. We just weren't there yet. We needed that type and shadow to show us how to get there. So that when the reality of that type and shadow came, which was the person of Yeshua Mashiach, we could fully walk in the calling that we have been brought into through the covenant atonement of Messiah Yeshua. If we go to second, uh, 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9, Peter starts to reiterate this promise from the Lord in Exodus 19. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. Look, none of us deserve the mercy of God. 
None of us deserve his salvation. If he was doing it based on the merit of our actions, none of us would have a shot. As a matter of fact, if he simply did all of this on the merits of our actions, he wouldn't have wasted his time creating us. But he created us so that he could restore us. Because he knew that we were going to mess up. And even in our messed up nature and state, he called us to be a kingdom of Kohanim, a kingdom of priests, so that the world around us would be able to see his presence among them. You know, I think personally that one of the worst things that we as a people group, the, the Jewish people, ever did was build the temple, the physical permanent place of the temple. Now, don't get me wrong, God said to do it, and there was a prophetic purpose for it, and it still has its prophetic purpose and so on. But God allowed us to build a temple not because that's what he asked of us, but because that's what we asked of him. David said, hey, I live in this huge palace, and here you are in a tent. That's not cool. Let me build you a house. And, and God said, no, I don't want that. I never wanted that. He told David, I never wanted a palace. I wanted a temple, a tabernacle rather. I wanted something temporal. And the reality is, is when we had the tabernacle, as we'll see at the end of Exodus, when the tabernacle was finished, what happened? As soon as they consecrated, the presence of the Lord fell on the tabernacle. And they couldn't even go into it for a while because the presence of God was so heavy and so powerful and so tangible in their midst. God asked us to build a tabernacle so that he could lead us everywhere we went. Because everywhere that Israel went, they had to pack up the tabernacle. They had to carry the Ark of the Covenant upon which the mercy sits at, upon which the cloud of the presence of God rested, so that God could lead us on our journey. When we went to battle, guess who went before us? God. When we picked up and moved, guess who went before us? God. When we went into the promised land, guess who went before us? God. We didn't even get out of Egypt before God's presence was leading the way. And then we cry out, hey, let us build you a palace so you're not living in this tent anymore. And then you could have this beautiful palace. And in essence, what we said to God was, let us build this permanent dwelling place for you so that from now on we can go off our own way and do our own thing. But don't worry, we'll come back to you. So we build a temple and we put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple and then Israel goes out to battle and we say, Lord, we'll come back in a bit. Let us go do our thing. We'll come back. And then we come back and we walk away and then we come back and we walk away. And what God has done through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua is not only established the priesthood that was always his intention, which is that of Yeshua Mashiach, the priesthood that the Aaronic order was a type and shadow for, but he also reestablished the reality of the promise that he spoke to Israel in Exodus 19 to make us a kingdom of Kohanim. Why? Because we are now that tabernacle. We are now that temporal dwelling place for the presence of the Lord. So in this Parsha, and in last week's Parsha, uh, when the Lord says in, in uh, Exodus 29, 44, beginning, this is this week's Parsha, so I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also sanctify Aaron and his sons to minister to me as Kohanim. So I will dwell among B'nai Israel and be their God. Then you will know that I am Adonai, their God, who brought them forth out of the land of Egypt so that I may live among them. I am Adonai, their God. Now, God has reestablished that promise of us being a nation of Kohanim, the king's holy people, so that he can live among us again. But instead of in some tent over some ark out in the middle of our journey, he now resides within us. 
And at the same time, he is serving as our intermediary for all eternity in the tabernacle in heaven so that we can be deemed righteous and holy, not by our merit, not by our actions, but because of his, but because we are now returning back to him in the way that he had always desired for his people to be. We go to Hebrews chapter 8 in closing. Hebrews chapter 8, now here is the main point being said. We do have such a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. He is a priestly attendant of the holies and the true tent, which Adonai set up, not man. The tabernacle and the temple on earth was merely a type and shadow of the heavenlies, just as Aaron was merely a type and shadow of Mashiach. He is a priestly attendant of the holies and the true tent, which Adonai set up, not man. For every Kohen Gadol is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not have been Kohen at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the Torah. He couldn't have been Kohen on earth because he wasn't in the Aaronic order. He was in the Davidic lineage in the tribe of Judah. It says, now if he were on earth, he would not be a Kohen at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the Torah. They offer service and a replica and a foreshadower of the heavenlies. One that is just as Moses was instructed by God when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, see that you make everything according to the design that was shown to you on the mountain, but now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry insofar as he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Now I want to uh, suggest to you that better covenant upon better promises doesn't mean new covenant upon new promises. It doesn't mean a covenant that replaces the previous upon promises that replace the previous. By better covenant built upon better promises, what he means is the covenant and promise that was always there that has now been reestablished, renewed, and restored in the way that God had always intended. Often people will look at Hebrews 7 and 8 and they'll go, see, it's a whole new covenant. All of that Old Testament stuff doesn't matter anymore. All that Torah stuff doesn't matter anymore. But the only way we can come to that reality is if we ignore the fact that it's speaking of a very specific covenant. There were countless covenants given to Israel. There's a covenant given to Abraham, restored and renewed to Isaac, restored and renewed and reiterated to Jacob. There was a covenant that was given at Mount Sinai. There was a covenant that was given to the Levites. There was a covenant that was given to the Aaronic order priesthood, the, the Kohen Gadol. There was a covenant that was given to David and to Solomon and so on and so forth. And these covenants built upon the ones from before them, but they never replaced the ones before them. What makes us think that all of a sudden the God who issues these covenants is suddenly going to change the way he does things? Instead, what he says here is, I am not giving you a new covenant. I'm giving you a better covenant, which is the renewal of the covenant that already stood. And the covenant that he's talking about here isn't the covenant at Mount Sinai. It isn't the covenant that was cut in Exodus 19 and 20. It isn't the covenant that was reiterated in Exodus 34 after the golden calf. He's talking about the covenant to Aaron and the tabernacle. Man making atonement and mediation for man. He's saying, no, 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 I'm giving you 
the right covenant. The covenant that was always established but that you weren't ready to see yet. Which is a covenant of God making atonement and mediation for man. Because we can never do it on our own. If we could, we wouldn't need a mediator in the first place. And so he says, I'm giving you a better covenant built upon better promises, not a new covenant, but a renewal of that covenant built upon a renewal of those promises because those covenants and promises were based upon Messiah, not upon us, not upon Aaron, not upon the tabernacle because Messiah has always been and everything that exists exists because it was created through him for his purpose, which is to bring us to this moment so that we can be used by him to lead others to the kingdom of God. The reality is, is that you and I are part of that nation of Kohanim. Some of us are natural born. Some of us are grafted in. But we are part of that nation of Kohanim. And our order of priests is that of Messiah. And we serve as not a foreshadowing or a type and shadow, but we serve as an example of who he is. So that others will see him in us and want what we have in their life. So that others' lives become temporal dwelling places for the presence of the Lord. And in the same sense that Aaron had to wear special garments upon his chest and upon his shoulders and upon his head to remind the Lord. Now, did God forget? Was it possible for God to forget Israel? No. And he says it over and over again in his word. But yet he called Aaron to serve as a reminder before him of his compassion, of his covenant, of his judgments, of his uh, love for the nation of Israel. To serve as a memorial before him for the people. Why? Because Aaron served not just as a mediator, but he served as an intercessor. We as believers in the, in the blood atonement of Messiah, we have a role as Kohanim, as the priests, the, the king's Kohanim, to serve not just as intermediaries, because that intermediary exists in the person of Yeshua. But we're called to take up the role of being a, a uh, intercessor. My mind went entirely blank randomly. We're called to take up the role and the mantle of an intercessor. Not just for our lives or the lives of the people that we know, but for all of the house of Israel to come to know Messiah Yeshua. Why? So that Messiah will come back. We're called to be intercessors on behalf of all of the nations. Why? Because God wants all of his creation reunited and restored to him. He didn't call Israel out because he only cared about the Jewish people. He called Israel out so that Israel would lead the nations back to him. And he's called you and I to be a part of that reality as we serve not as a type and shadow, but as an example of who Yeshua is as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek before everyone that we come into contact with. And it is important that we grasp the reality of the calling, the reality of what we are supposed to be as Tamudim, disciples of Yeshua. We're not just people who run around telling people that they're supposed to keep kosher or keep the Torah or anything like that because frankly, if their hearts are jacked up, none of that matters in the first place. We're called to lead people to the blood atonement of Messiah that brings the healing and the restoration that makes it possible for us to even conceive possibly honoring his word. He calls us to pick up the mantle of Aaron in the modern world through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua so that the world around us has already an intermediary, but now they have intercessors standing in the gap 
crying out to the Lord for their salvation, for our families, for our friends, for our coworkers, for our neighbors, for people we don't even like. Suck it up and deal with it. That's the reality. We are called to be intercessors, to stand in the gap, so that when we stand before the throne of Adonai for judgment, we're not there alone hearing, well, good, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we're not there to hear it because of our merit. We're there to hear it because we went out of our way to see people come to the kingdom of Messiah and become part of the king's koanim. Amen? Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We ask you, Lord, to uh, bolster the calling that you've given us to renew the anointing of your Ruach HaKodesh within us that we may, in fact, go forth and make Tamudim disciples of all nations. That we can take up the mantle of being a light unto the nations. Father, that we recognize that we are Jew and Gentile brought together as one in Messiah in the commonwealth of the nation of Israel. Not Jews becoming Gentiles and not Gentiles becoming Jews, but Jews and Gentiles coming together as one for the purpose of seeing the world come to know Messiah. For the purpose of seeing, seeing the king's uh, uh, kingdom constantly built and to usher in the return of Yeshua as our people, the Jewish people, come to faith in the promised Jewish Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach. Father, I pray that you will continue to breathe new life within us, that you will continue to pour out your Maim Chaim, your living waters, that we can boldly proclaim your truth no matter what. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.